What's up, everybody? This is Keith. And before we get to this week's episode, I just wanted to mention that both Scott and I have Kickstarters going on right now. So for Scott, it's Wanderers of Melisanda 3. Way in the future, humans colonize the planet Melisanda. It's a planet where the meteor never hit, and dinosaurs evolved. And so what you have on the planet Melisanda is two dominant species trying to coexist. Does that work? It never works. So if that interests you, or if you just like backing indie creator projects, then head on over to the Wanders of Melisanda 3 Kickstarter. Scott has some killer covers lined up. I pledged one of them myself, and there are a couple to choose from. For me, Kadoja Symphony of Madness number one is live right now. The first issue in the final arc of this mega arc of Kadoja. In this case, we have giant monsters meeting HP Lovecraft. The madness is escalating, people are running rampant in the streets, and Kadoja is getting ready for the biggest fight it's ever had. So that's Kadoja Symphony of Madness number one on Kickstarter. All right, now to this week's episode. Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift. Wow, holy shit, what the hell? You Sorry. got you got so far. I, I don't got get it. so far. <laughs> you know what? Because I was looking at the um, audio recording levels, and I was like, okay. And in my head, I'm thinking, okay, hopefully that's not too bad, and I don't need the pop filter. And then yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm talking right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm absolutely keeping this in. I totally want to keep this in. (laughs) Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanders of Melisanda for the Accidental Aliens. And I'm Keith Foster. I write the comic Kadoja and the, I mean, really upcoming comic Three Protectors. Like, it's out, I think, this week. And I'm also a managing partner at Invader Comics. Excellent. All right, my friend. So what are you drinking this week? What am I drinking? I'm going with like a a, a, a favorite, a favorite. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. SD, SD Besties. Uh, I, I've This is probably my fifth or sixth one to drink on the podcast here. And uh, it's what I was in the mood for, you know? My stomach's just a tiny little bit tumultuous. And uh, I was looking in my fridge and I'm like, I just don't want an IPA. I don't want to wreak any more havoc on my stomach. And, you know, one could argue that... Any alcohol is bad for your stomach. And and when I say one, I mean almost every doctor on the planet. But uh, but yeah, the stouts still feel better when I drink them. <laughs> so, <laughs> I so yeah, I, I, I do. It was it was the good choice. It's what I wanted. And again, I'm I'm dude, I just bought uh, through Tavor. I had a pop up. This will be a couple months away. But I think I'm in a stout mood because I bought a couple stouts to ship to me in a month. I got some super limited stouts, and uh, hey, man, I think I might crack, crack one open with you, actually, at some point. Although you aren't as much of a stout guy, so uh, hey, we'll figure it out. But anyway, SD Besties, it's delicious. It's exactly what I wanted. How about you? Well, if it's a limited edition, I will drink it. We'll try it out and, and see if it's any good to both, or see if it's good to both of our palates, not just one of ours. Uh, I am drinking Fluffy Tangerine Clouds. This is by Second Chance Beer Company, and it's tangerine 
Hazy IPA. And this is mm. a San Diego company. So I don't remember if I've ever had this. I've definitely had stuff from Second Chance uh, Brewing Company before, but I don't remember this one. Is Second Chance true to Second Shift? Like, do they spell out the word or do they go 2ND? Uh, they spell out the word. Oh, come on, so, guys. You know, there's another brewery. It's called Third Third Shift. Nice. And I, I thought that was fun. I was just like, oh, I wish this company would sponsor, or I'm, yeah, I wish this brewery would stop, sponsor my comic. Yeah, yeah. Hey, or man, this podcast. Yeah, hey, we're, we're not done. I mean, if you're listening, Third Shift Brewing, we're, we're available. We're available for sponsorship. Someday we're going to open that Patreon and the, and the cash windfall we're going to get is amazing for all the uh, god-awful conversations that weren't good enough to make our regular podcast. Um, <laughs> or controversial ones that we want no part of anyone hearing. That's right. Uh, we don't need okay. the heat. <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you something, though. I don't think you answered this in the chat. How was that purple ube milkshake sour you had from harlan the other day oh it was delicious um it wasn't it wasn't as magical as the ube milkshake but it was still quite magical it wasn't Mm. as magical but still magical um i'm honestly i'm going to call them tomorrow see if they still have it and ask if i'm allowed to bring a growler there because they said they don't have it canned and they're like oh yeah we have it on tap it's just like, okay, but can you put it in one of my growlers? Like, I, yeah. I don't really know if they're willing yeah. to let me do that, but they uh, should I'd be able sure to. like to try. Yeah, they should be able to. So what made it sour? Nothing about it sounds like a sour. So what's sour in it? It didn't taste sour to me at all, to be honest huh. with you. It was just nice and smooth. It was delicious. Um, I happened to have my Balut Club shirt on, which is like a Filipino thing. Yeah, and, Balut. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> another patron of the of the Harlan Brewing Company was there. Uh, that was also Filipina. And she was just, she was like, hey, man, I really like your shirt. <laughs> so it was yeah. like, and she was drinking the ube as well. So it was kind of fun. Have, have, did, did, did that make both of you want to just like, let's go eat balut somewhere? Absolutely not. I like the shirt, <laughs> but I do not want to try that ever. It just does not yeah. appeal to me. Uh, I was so having you've, a had, conversation. you've tried it once. You've tried it once. No, no, no. Okay. I, ha- I was having a conversation with a couple of my friends yesterday. And it was on, like, eating thing. Like, what creeps you out to eat? So mine was seeing the head in the face. It's oh, like, God, yes. If, the, if it looks too much like the animal, then I can't eat it. So, like, yes. for instance, eating fried calamari, I don't really like the texture if it's too chewy. If it's crunchy, I don't mind it as much. But I definitely don't like eating the tentacles. I like eating the ones that kind of look like little onion rings. Mm-hmm. Because you can't tell what animal it was. So, but when yeah. I see the little tentacles, I'm like, I'm good. I'm gonna pass on that. My God, man, you you've actually encapsulated the two things that I hate the most about uh, like a certain type of food, right? Number one, I also do not like uh, faces. Um, there, I don't know. I don't know if these are like around the world, but I know Southern California has versions of this. There's a place called like the Boiling Crab. Or places like that that are basically like an Asian seafood house where there's a lot of a Cajun vibe to it. But it's a very Asian take on the Cajun. It's not New Orleans Cajun. It's not far from it, but it's a little different. And God damn it if they don't just have all kinds of shit with heads. You get shrimp <laughs> and they're, they're whole shrimp that are looking at me. And I'm yeah, like, shrimp, crawdads. Yeah, yeah. My my wife. I actually told my wife when the bag of shrimp hit the table and they're all just looking at me like, hey, Keith, what's up? I was like, babe. 
can you peel all the the shrimp out of those goddamn things? She was like, yeah, totally. I mean, it, it's it's a it's a running gag. I, I I can't stand heads. I can't stand when you go to a restaurant and the fish is on the plate, just like looking at you. I feel like it's going to be like mm-hmm. a big mouth Billy Bass, and it's just going to turn and then just start talking to you, like, hey, Keith, what's going on? I'm like, oh fuck, you know. Um, and the other thing I can't stand is gelatinous textures, man. I hate all gelatinous textures. So let me do some preemptive strikes here because usually what people say is, wait a minute, are you saying you don't like jello? Motherfucker, that is exactly what I'm saying. Oh, <laughs> I, interesting. Okay. I hate jello. I, I I don't like jello. I don't like oysters. I, I don't even like like the, the, again, the fishy kind of things like, like, um, like tentacles and things like that. And there's a couple more I can't stand either, but just gelatinous textures are, are a big no, no, um, for me. I, and, and now on the flip side, I love like hardcore crunch things. So like, I love cucumbers. I love water chestnuts, things that are like incredibly crisp and crunchy, but Oh, gelatinous textures. No, 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 no. What if a sandwich has too much mayo on it? Does it freak you out? Uh, I'll never eat a sandwich with too much mayo on it. If 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 a sandwich has too much mayo on it, I will take the mayo off. Interesting. Like, okay. Yeah, I mean, you can remove mayo. You get like a couple napkins and you just wipe that. There was a, a line one of my buddies said. It was like, "Hey, do you like mayo?" And he goes, "Do you mean do I like my sandwiches sandwiches moist and delicious?" Then yeah, <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah, That's I, a dry I, ass I, sandwich. Of course, I love mayonnaise. Yeah, mayonnaise is awesome. Um, but anyway, so that that's super interesting that we sort of merge there on the uh, yeah separation from animal to food, and also sounds like you have a little bit of like a gelatinous slimy texture thing um, where I am just all I am hard in the paint against that like or or I'm the exact opposite of hard in the paint. I am standing at half court jacking up shots. That is what I'm doing when it comes to gelatinous textures. It's it's really uh, like I'm with you on the oysters. I tried it once. I almost threw up. Just I'm not into that Oof. at all. Yeah, uh, but I do like Jello. Jello, there's it's it's okay with me. Okay, hey, all right, Does and I don't mind too much you? mayo. Yeah, I don't mind too much mayo. Yeah, a lot of mayo know, and uh, ketchup on a burger. I'm all right mm. with it. Yeah, that's all right. Sounds good right now. Well, that is the end of our first part of our podcast, which is uh, you know the triple threat. It is beer, food, and now we're going to the third threat, which is comics. Keith, what was the yeah. first thing you did this week? Yeah, the, so this week was one of those weeks where, I mean, I did stuff that was creative. It was basically the novel every day. The novel was the thing I did that was creative. But this was one of those weeks where that was really the only thing I did that was creative because so much else of it was was work and sort of grinding. So the big thing I did this week was a ton of prep for the Kickstarter. The Kadoja Kickstarter, which by now is actually in its second week. So hopefully, if you haven't backed it yet, please check it out. It is the first issue of the final arc of Kadoja called Symphony of Madness. Um, and I've been prepping for it all week. So that's that's your typical build out the Kickstarter, you know, put in the risks and challenges, um, prepare all the graphics. You know, I did all those in phases. Um, I think, Scott, I, I bothered you at some point over this week. And was like, hey, just refresh my memory. I don't need graphics in the in the story part and you're like nah you confirm that no I don't 
And uh, because Kickstarter doesn't care about that. Kickstarter cares about certain things, but those aren't one of the things they look at. They they need to know, you know, like your bank account is the most important thing. How do they pay? How do they pay you? How do they withdraw um, in case people can't make their pledges, you know, or, or whatever. And then, of course, they want to know risks and challenges, those type of things. The, the basics on funding amounts, blah, blah, blah. That's what they really care about. Everything else is sort of on you. So I did uh, a first wave of it. And then... And, you know, it was funny because I was so nervous about why am I always nervous about hitting it, hitting submit for them to like review it? And is uh, it because you think that you're accidentally launching it? Because I think that every single time, <laughs> you know, that is in the back of my head. But I think it's it's the it's like I feel like it's so juried. I feel like what if they don't like my sentence structure in my story? What <laughs> what if what if what if I didn't use commas and semicolons right? <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> These are the type of questions that race through my head, but that's not what they're looking for. And in fact, uh, in this case, I hit submit and it was approved instantly. It was like ordering something on Amazon. It was I hit submit and it's like, great, you're approved. You know, now I think it's just one of those things that we've done it so frequently Yes. That it's just like, yeah, we know you're good for this. Like, mm-hmm. as long as you have that thumbnail graphic and you have stuff filled out, they trust in us that we've done it so many times that we did it correctly. Exactly. And to, and to you creators out there, and I know some of you are, are in this boat right now, you haven't done a Kickstarter yet. And you're thinking of doing your first Kickstarter. Your first Kickstarter, it's going to take probably about a week sometimes to get that thing approved. And that is after you take some time for all the bank account stuff. So because they don't know you yet, you're an unknown commodity. Um, by the time you're on your third Kickstarter, this kind of thing will happen. You'll just click submit and it'll be like, cool, you're good. And again, to your point, Scott, it's because there's probably some sort of Kickstarter version of like TSA pre where once you fund it a few times or once they know you're good for it, it's just like, yeah, this person's just, you know, keep it perpetuating the machine. So um, so anyway, so yeah, I've been I've been doing a little bit more of that. It's pretty much ready to go. Um, like you and I were talking, I have decided at the moment to not do a video and I've also thrown it out to a few people and none of them have said, no, no, you should do a video. I don't think I'm going to, you know, give in to that. I mean, I think I'm just going to go without a video and that should be fine. You know, I, I personally, like, like you were telling me, I think on a text or in the car when we were driving back, I personally haven't watched a video on a Kickstarter in three years and I've backed quite a few. And not once have I looked at the video. Maybe once after I had backed something, that's the operative phrase, I had watched the video just, oh, I know what it was. I was looking for a very specific bit of information that determined what add-ons I got in the Kickstarter. And I wanted to see if they had better information in the video than they did as part of their story. And it turned out they did. But that's the only time I've ever watched a video. Yep, same. I don't know the last time I watched a video. It's been quite a few years. And uh, yeah, I do recall the conversation And the last time I might have watched one was because there wasn't enough art in the Kickstarter itself. So I was like, okay, let me look at the video to see if they have any interior pages. Because, you know, again, these Kickstarters that it's just all alternate covers that they're showing you, that does nothing for me. Because they're alternate covers. It has no representation of what the inside of the comic looks like. And for me, that's key. This goes back to when I was a child and I bought, uh, you know, like an X-Men comic because it had Art Adams art on the cover and I opened it up and it wasn't Art Adams on the inside. I was so upset. I didn't understand that they could make an artist do what the cover and different artists do the interiors. For me, that was maddening. So, yeah. um, yeah, it's definitely important to me that the art on the interior matches the cover or at least I just want to see if the art is good. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely, man. So, so anyway, so that was it. That was my first thing, man. What about you? Well, just to piggyback off of yours real quick, I also need to get my Kickstarter stuff in order. I have not started, so it's a bit of the opposite of you. I'm still waiting on Emily to give me the um, sample, basically the mock-up of the cover, because that is actually going to be the thumbnail. I think the image works perfectly for a thumbnail for the Kickstarter, and uh, I'm basically waiting on those mock-ups. She sent me one version, but honestly, it wasn't what I was looking for, and I gave her somewhat of an adjustment on top of her work. I just used a, a couple of different layers and, you know, multiplied them. And I was like, well, what do you think of this? She goes, actually, that helps me. Like, I kind of understand where the light source is coming from now. So um, hopefully I'll get that in the next couple of days. But with every free second I have tomorrow and over the weekend, which isn't a lot, I'll definitely try to put the Kickstarter together because I want to put it, I want to put it up by Monday and uh, have it running. So hopefully when you guys listen to this podcast, it is in fact running. So make sure you click the link in my bios on whatever social media you follow me on, and uh, it'll be there for you. So um, yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> um, okay, so getting to my first thing, I've basically been doing interiors for Wanderers, just the uh, the zipatones, the highlights, the shading, uh, cell shading. And I actually sent a example of it to you and Gary inside the Making mm -hmm. Comics um, group chat. And, uh, yeah, you saw the madness that I'm dealing with with those zipatones. Yes. yes. I'm, I'm essentially coloring the book with gray tones and gradient effects. So it's just finding out where that light source is coming from and putting those effects, you know, in the proper places. And it can take a while a lot of times. So uh, especially the one I sent you guys, that one was was so much work, and I finally finished that. And that was a two-page spread that is the uh, pages two and three. So I'm up to a total of four pages that are complete for the Zipatones and 19 more to go. So the good news is this doesn't, yeah, it's, it's a uphill battle, but the good thing is it's not as difficult as drawing the pages. It's a lot faster. So once you get in that mm -hmm. groove, you know, I start flying and uh, it'll be done well before the Kickstarter is over, I'd imagine. And uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, I'll get the book back in time for San Diego Comic-Con because that's what I'm really pushing for is to have that book at the Accidental Alien small press table. Oh, okay. Yeah, that. I mean, that makes sense. You still have some time as we're recording this, but I know what you mean with printer times and turnaround times and all that and the fact that it's going to take you a few weeks to knock it out. It's probably going to be a pretty close fit. Oh, definitely. Yo, because the, the Kickstarter is going to run basically all through June. Mm -hmm. um, we all know Comic-Con is always the third week of July. So I basically, by the by the time the Kickstarter ends, I have to have almost everything complete and then send out the surveys right away so I can get everyone's name to throw in the back of the book, send it to the printer because I need, a, I need him to get it back to me within two weeks. So that that's like literally down to the wire. It's like a few days before Comic-Con is when I would be receiving the book. So it's going to be a tough call. And uh, I'm thinking more and more that I think about it, I want to do a San Diego Comic-Con exclusive cover. So I had mentioned uh, previously on the podcast that I had did two layouts for the cover. Um, everyone picked the green, but I also really like the blue. There was one vote for the blue, and uh, I might do that one as the alternate. And then instead of having Emily watercolor that, I'm going to actually have Joaquin do it because Joaquin can turn it around super fast. So I'm mm -hmm. definitely going to try to do that so it's something special for the convention nice i mean that's always cool right it's always cool to have those kind of things that are show exclusives or things like that so 
So that's awesome. Um, and, and speaking of the word show, that segues into my second thing I've been doing for the week. Because prepping for, for the Kadoja Kickstarter hasn't been enough prep for me to do. Um, a quick personal note, too, by the way. So we are recording this, you know, almost a week, I guess, after getting back from Phoenix. And uh, when when we got back from Phoenix, you know, we both got back really late. Uh, obviously, we got back late to my place and then tack on about two hours. And that's what time you got back to your place. Wake right up the next day, which was um, Memorial Day. And that was the celebration for my a group big party she was throwing for her birthday. And uh, so that was just the entire day, you know, the prep, the running around for last minute stuff. And then, of course, the party itself, which was amazing. Um, And then we get into Tuesday and that was my wife's actual birthday. And we had an an awesome dinner reservation. So we did that. And uh, then it was like Wednesday. I'm just trying to kind of get my head above ground. And uh, it was time to already begin prep for a convention that I start tomorrow as we are recording this, which is Monster Palooza. So... I this this is the way shows go sometimes. I go back to back and then I don't have a show until August. And uh, that is exactly what my life is this year. You know, just just like a whole lot of nothing and then practically back to back shows. I think I had something similar recently. Um I yeah, I know what it was. I had Emerald City in early December and then oh, I had San Diego Special Edition uh Thanksgiving weekend and then the next week I had Emerald City Seattle in December 21. And then a few weeks later, we did uh, the Ontario one, Comic-Con Revolution. So that's like three shows in five weeks. Um, this time I got back to back. And again, I'm off till mid-August. So it's just been a little bit of prep for that. Um, a lot of the prep has actually been what I was doing leading up to this, which was dubbing some fresh cassettes. Because as you know, um, I had a run. You know, I, I always keep cassettes at my table. Um, they're the kind of thing where I don't sell that many every show, but you know, it's, it's money, it's money and I do music and it's always nice to sell those cassettes either with or without the comics that I do because a lot of them are soundtracks to the comics and some of them are just cool music. So I was doing that. Um, I was, you know, prepping, uh, the books that I want to get, checking my inventories and things like that. And, uh, and I actually had one cool bit of information, Scott, which I was surprised about. Which is, um, I'm, I'm packing the trunk today because, you know, so I can go to Monster Palooza tomorrow and load in and all that stuff. And I'm looking at this one box. I'm like, oh, that box is where I have all my extra volume ones of Kadoja. I finally get around to that box. I'm like, yeah, let me open that and see what it is. So it was seven copies of volume two. Oh. It, was, it was practically empty. And the, and the books it had was volume two. And so I was like, um, I need to do an inventory of volume one. And uh, it turns out that I have 11 copies left oh, no. of the second printing of volume one, of the second printing of volume one, which means that I'm just going to sell through them at Monster Palooza this weekend. In fact, I'm kind of debating right now. I have a Kickstarter tier that's the whole story. And um, I, I guess what I'm probably going to do is I'm just going to sell them at Monster Palooza. And if I sell through them all, I'm going to pull that tier from the Kickstarter because no. So you're saying set them no. aside? No, you you do you definitely you definitely sell through them at Monster Palooza, and then yeah. you just reorder when oh you, reorder yeah when yeah, you yeah. order your books just reorder number one. You know, I was even thinking that, and I forgot. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and then speaking of uh, the cassettes, like you saying you don't sell that much, it was funny because 
the first two days at uh, Phoenix Fan Fusion, you didn't sell any. And then on yeah. the third day, you sold, I think, what, three or four in the matter of... It was four. Four within 20 yeah. minutes. Yeah. It was just kind of wild. It was just like, boom, 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 you know, just out of nowhere. And it's just, that's kind of like a fun little treat. Yeah, it is. And and that's, you know, that's one of the things I like, right? Having the all the product there at the table for different people to, to like different things. But yes, you know what? And I had even thought that. So yeah, I'll sell through them at Monster Palooza. And then I guess it's just time for me to, you know, you know how it goes, though. You know, like I'm going to do a decent print run of it. And that's going to be expensive. And I'm kind of like, blah, you know, like, like, the <laughs> but, but what, that's what you got to do. I mean, it's volume, it's volume one. It's the one everybody wants. So yes, I had even thought that too. Um, I just spaced just now so i'll sell through and then it'll be part of the the kickstarter and then that'll be the impetus for reprinting uh kadoja volume one and that is going to be the third printing so by the time this airs i should be sold out and uh the first and second printings will be long gone so um if you have a copy of it hey check check the inside cover and see what version it is because uh, we're about to go to a version uh, uh third printing that's awesome man yeah, yeah. The, and also like that Ba- or get them all tier it's essentially going to help you pay for that reorder of volume yeah, one so totally it's all beneficial so like he says so we we kind of have mirrored weeks in the sense that we both came back from phoenix fan fusion and we're both doing inventory checks so that's part of my process too when we get back or when i get back from conventions if i'm not working in with you i'll go through my box and see what is missing how much i sold of what and in this case we haven't talked about it so when we were on the air with gary we were completing day two saturday so after that, me and Keith went back on a Sunday. Gary was just there for that one day. I had a killer day. It was it was so nuts. Keith had like Keith had like monster days every day. He had three like three of the best days either one of us would have. It's like a you know it's like peak day for him. Mm-hmm. And my first day was was pretty good. Um, right close to what he did the first day. I did less the second day that I did the first day Keith stayed at where he where he was the first day and my third day holy cow that was nuts it was like yeah. there was one point in the day where me and Keith were selling so much stuff like left and right hand over fist we as soon as we made the last sale not not of the day but in that moment we both looked at each other and said what the fuck is going on <laughs> because it was like it was like our stuff was I don't know. It, it was like the hottest thing at the convention in that hour. We were just selling so much stuff uh, left and right, and it was it was yeah. really amazing. So that last day really made the convention for me, and that actually stays true to the convention the last time we did it in 2019. My yeah. first two days weren't so great, and the third day was a monster of a day, and, and yeah. it held true and exceeded my expectations. Um, another thing that was really great about that last day was – I sold through all of my sets of second shift. Uh, by the end of the convention, I had nothing. I had no single issue sets left. They were all gone. All I had was five trade paperbacks of uh, second shift and a few sets of wanderers left. So that was really gratifying. Yeah, and I mean a, a quick interruption here too. Phoenix, you are awesome. You love comics, you love indie comics, and we love you. I can't, I can't wait to renew our table for next year. You know, I've been doing Phoenix. You've been doing this. That was your second time doing Phoenix and my fourth. And even in my first year in Phoenix, which I did pretty well, 
it I still heard the stories of how like it used to be this, it used to be that. You know, Phoenix used to be like one of the top four shows in the country, effectively. And we all know what the top two spots are. It's just New York and San Diego, depending on how you judge. San Diego is number one in people's hearts and minds. New York can say it's number one because it can accommodate bigger attendance because they don't have the fire marshal limitations that San Diego does. Um But but Phoenix used to be like a show that everybody talked about. And this year was the year where I was like, yes, yes, this is why this is why people talk so favorably about Phoenix, you know, so great fans, great people who love comics and great people who love indie comics. And I think like we talked about with Gary um, there, it just didn't seem like there were that many people selling indie comics. And uh, that worked out well for us. We ended up almost being like a, an indie comic store. Um, I mean, with you and me there, for sure. And then you add Gary the one day, and it was just, you know, three cool indie comics that you can all get in one place. So, yeah, man. I mean, like Scott said, I had three really solid, good days. And then Scott just, just launched off planet Earth for that final day for his. Like, just unbelievable. Um, if, if I had had that day, it would easily be the biggest day I've ever had. But I didn't. That was Scott's day. So it was really cool. It, it was it was really exciting. And, uh, yeah, it was it was just it was a great energy on a Sunday. And you don't see that a lot on Sundays um, just to have that huge energy in the building. And the, the energy just maintained the whole time. It was wonderful energy, wonderful fans and wonderful people in Phoenix. And it definitely was my biggest day that I've ever had, too. So, yeah, it was just it was such a monstrous day. And then the 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 coolest part about all of this was me and Keith did our tallies at the end of it all. And we ended up two dollars apart from each other with our total. Yes. Yeah. So, I did my final tally. It was two dollars. It, it's so nuts. Like like we just have kind of different um different things that we're selling at the table a lot of stuff uh that keith is doing it's it's based on kadoja and you know the music soundtracks like he talked about and then my stuff it's like i'm kind of all over the place i the majority of the table is dedicated to the comics but i have a print wall behind me because you know you got to make the money and um you know i have like odds and ends here and there and so i kind of i'm a little bit all over the place at times and so I have a tendency to bring in a little bit more because I'm also doing commissions where, you mm-hmm. know, Keith, Keith is a writer. He's unable to do commissions um, unless you're willing to give him your script and that for him to read and then to edit and give it back to you at a later yeah, date. <laughs> but um, yeah, so our prices I'll give are you usually... very thoughtful notes. Yes. Yes. There you go. Uh, before he shits on you. So, <laughs> thoughtful little... notes. And then I poop on you. And then you get a nice thing at the end. Trust me. That's right. <laughs> it's a so yeah, it, it was a uh, it was such a crazy thing for us to end so close together, especially since he was having monster days every day. But um, yeah, it was it was an awesome show. Like Keith said, thank you, Phoenix Fan Fusion. And uh, it's funny because the last year that they had it, you know, a few people were talking about, hey, this really isn't a four day show, and they actually trimmed it down a day. You know, so yes. it went from a four day show to a three day show, and honestly, it was all for the better. You know, like instead of us sitting there for four days and kind of spreading it out, it's just like, no, no, you guys are going to come on these three days. So it's going to be a little bit more focused, a little more intense. The show floor is going to look a little bit more lively. And it was. Yeah. Thank you, sweet Jesus. Emerald City, I hope you're listening. Yeah. Oh, goodness gracious. So that's the biggest test for me. Keith has done Emerald City a few times and and, uh, this will be my first time. So uh, be kind, be gentle. 
Yeah, let's let's just hope that this this year's Thursday isn't the existential crisis that the last Thursday was. Because again, I I, I don't think I've said it on the podcast, but I nicknamed Thursday Industry Day because I'm not sure any fans were there. <laughs> it was, but I mean, I, I don't know that. Like again, that's not the fans' fault, right? That is the that is the convention organizers' fault, and you should know better. You should know better than to make it a four day show, you know. And and you know what I'd be interested in? We, we've been really good at getting. Like a lot of feedback from people now. And um, I'd be interested out there from the people that either are fans, still go to show as fans. You know, obviously we get a lot of creators that listen to the podcast. But like people who, I'm look, all of us are fans. We all started that way. Do you think a show gives you more value if you go for four days or if you have that option of a fourth day? Then if, like, would you rather get four days of sort of spread out stuff or would you rather just go three and have it be jam-packed or even have it be two and be chaos? Um, I would I would love to hear from people on what they think about that in terms of where the value is. You know, I, I think convention organizers have an opinion on what they think that value is, but I think that value is disconnected from what actual Comic-Con attendees or comic convention attendees, to be more specific around the country, think in terms of value but hit us I up think th- i think that just by having you talk about it i would say my vote would be the three days i think that's the smartest bet because yeah. if you have the two days like you said it's going to be chaos everyone's going to be trying to cram themselves in there on those two days but if you have three and you know you can get off on a friday and not everyone else can it's going to be a little bit easier of a day for you and then after you know after that you can decide like okay, I saw a decent chunk of this and I think I can complete it in one day. Saturday is going to be nuts, so maybe I'll just come on a Sunday where it's a little more calm, you know? Or yeah. you're just so into comics and you like to take your time everywhere, you're going to go all three days. So I right. think three is definitely the option I would pick if I was voting on something like this. Yeah. And, uh, like, yeah, I've, I've never done Emerald City, but like you said, if Thursday was an industry day, then, yeah, why not do three? You could still be one of the bigger name conventions. You don't have to. Totally. You don't have to have four to, to think you're part of the cool kids. Like, it's fine. Your job as, a, to me, your job as a convention organizer is to not say, well, I have four days, therefore uh, move over San Diego and New York, make a seat at the big boy table for the newest big boy. No, your job is to make vendors and fans happy. And I'm just not sure that adding a day that nobody wants is a way to make fans happy. I think we were talking about this maybe when we were having that uh, Chipotle before we hit the road. I feel like that's where it was, where I was like spitballing these ideas that I would love to try out if I was a convention organizer. Like, I am enamored with the idea of, number one, a three-day convention for the big conventions. And number two, with show floor times that run semi-exclusive to panels. You know, like, I think we were talking about this, right? Like, wouldn't it be cool if the show floor was like, let's say, 10 to 5 every day. And there were some panels going on during the day, but the marquee panels, you know, the the Mark Hamill's, the the Doctor Who guy. I don't watch Doctor Who. The Back to the Future panels, you know, the marquee panels. Wouldn't it be cool if those were like at 5 and 6 o'clock on a Saturday and and the show floor was closed so people could just go to the panel. They could walk the show floor and then they could go to the panel. And obviously there's like logistical things that logistics things that that would be confusing, but I feel like if what you really want is a killer fan experience, 
I think that's the way to go. To have like your cool marquee panels not have to compete with the show floor and to have the show floor not compete with the killer panels. I have definitely had conversations with people at the table next to me over the nine years I've been doing shows where we'll say like, wow, show floor's kind of dead. And then somebody be like, oh, the blah, blah, blah panel's going on right now. Like, oh, that's right. That's why. The only issue I would think that there could be is if those stars, you know, Matt Smith, Dave Tennant, uh, those are the Doctor Who people, mm. if they did not want to go on at five, they're like, hey, yeah. I got to catch a flight. So, right. you know, you got to put me on earlier. I would feel like that would be the only problem that could potentially arrive, yeah. but, or rise, uh, whatever you prefer. Or arrive. The only problem that could arrive at the problem center. <laughs> So, yeah, man, like you would have to basically arrange that beforehand to make sure they know what time they're going on, essentially, and make sure that time is okay, well ahead of schedule. So, but I think that's a great idea, honestly. Yeah, just, yeah. okay, these are the hours that it's a show floor. And then uh, even even people working the booths, if they're into Doctor Who or whatever panel's going on, hell they can yes. actually be done. They're like, hell right? yeah, you know, like, I don't know how many shows I've been to where they're like... Oh, hey, did you go to the Jim Lee panel or did you go to the Wildstorm panel? I'm like, what? It's like, yeah. oh, man, it's like I'm working and I didn't know about it. And, exactly. And it's just like we would actually go attend those as well. Yeah, I I like Mark Hamill. <laughs> you know, like I like Back to the Future. And, and that would be fun, you know, and, and hopefully people have drank up because that's a, that's a couple drinks in. Wingspan, wingspan, wingspan. We're getting it all in right now. <laughs> um, X-wingspan? <laughs> next week's well done well done all right so um how should i talk about this should i just say um should i just talk about it we we should tell people that we're bamboozling you because the 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 uh the the main topic of the episode is something that we're dwelling on for a little while but what this really is is the hardest part of making comics part six but we got we got tired of it so we're going to go through a few little ones and go from there. And uh, and then we have one that we're probably going to talk about a little bit more. That'll be the main topic of the episode. At least that's what we think. So, uh, so yeah. You've been bamboozled. <laughs> that's such a fun word, bamboozled. I love that word okay. so much. All right. The first one is by at Matt underscore Roger, Rogers. Finding time. The entirety of the beginning process when you aren't doing it professionally and have to balance it with life and a day job. Yeah, I mean, that is indie comics. <laughs> that is that indie is, comics. That, that is, is indie 100% comics. 100% indie comics. That is the life that a lot of us lead, you know. We are we are making money in a primary way that is not comics. And and the thing about that is, again, I you know I I've, I've become a fan in these recent episodes of expanding it beyond comics. It's it's making music. It's it's writing novels. It's writing poetry. It's it's dancing. It's it's whatever thing is your creative thing. If you're the kind of person that wants to try to make, you know, that that dreams of making a living at that creating creative thing. What it means is that there is going to be a period of your life where you got to work two jobs. You got to work your day job to pay the bills and you got to work your night job, which is your creative investment in yourself. And that is hard. You know, it, I, I, you could get me, you could talk me into saying that is the hardest part of making comics, indie comics. It, it's just figuring out what to do with the time. And I think you and I 
have had plenty of, you know, you could call a whole lot of examples together of us talking about that exact thing. You know, you don't play video games, Scott. I don't play video games. It's not because I don't like them. It's because I know that I have a job to do. You know, like I came home last night and my family wanted to watch a new episode of a popular television show that is streaming, but I don't want you to drink right now. And <laughs> and I said, no, you know, like I, I hope you look, if you guys want to watch it, you can watch it. But I have this hour of writing that I have to do. I have not done my hour in my novel yet and I need to put that work in. So it is hard and and you do have to do double work for a while as you you look, you know, to make that move that gets you to do this full time. It, there's there's no two ways around it, man. It's tough, but it is the gig when you're doing this indie stuff. And I don't think it's just indie. I think so many people that are out there trying to get their break in a creative field, they got to figure out a way to make the money until the creative field is the way to make the money. And honestly, it's it's not just the indies. It's a lot of guys that are working in comics right now. You know, if you can think of some of your favorite up and coming artists that may not be as well known as as they should be, they also work a side gig. You know, it's they're doing freelance art, they're doing uh, graphic design somewhere, they're just working odd odds and ed- and jobs. That's just how it is. So, um, yeah. like I know some artists that actually have to do storyboards once a year just because they want to have health insurance. So it's yeah. it's all about balancing it all out. Yeah. You know, like like he said, it's your day job, that's your first shift. And some yeah. would say creating comics is your second shift. Here but, we go. But but they'd only say that if they insisted on spelling it 2ND. That's right. Because we're not that's losers the, here. Yeah, exactly. That's the only <laughs> way to do it. It's the only way to do it. Not um, to be confused. And, yeah. Um, and I would say, too, again, I think about music a lot. And uh, and being someone who loves extreme metal as much as I do, I continue to get floored when I find out how many bands that I love are dudes with day jobs. Dudes with day jobs or women with day jobs who just work somewhere and their boss gives them three weeks off because they want to do like a regional tour. You know, um, I mean, again, one of my favorite bands is a band that does. It's a band called Nails, by the way. If you haven't listened to Nails and you like extreme music, do yourself a favor. It it sounds like an absolute war zone going off in your head. I love Nails so much. Um, All dudes with day jobs, man. You know, because turns out making, uh, you know, abrasive extreme music is not really making a ton of money. (laughs) You know, Uh, go figure, go figure. But, you know, like, again, I think all of us, I think everybody listening to this podcast would be very surprised to find out how many creators that we all love actually do something else for a primary way to make a living. And uh, so, yeah, man, that's the hustle. That's the grind. And uh, and we just keep on grinding and hope that someday uh, the sales follow and, and we can pursue this full time. Yeah, that's right. Like, hopefully me and Keith keep having shows like we did at Phoenix Fan Fusion that last day, (laughs) you know, and then we don't have to do so much side work, you know, just like I talk about a lot of the freelance work that I do here on the pod. So, you know, it's just like you got to bring in the money where you can. So um, and and going back to what Keith said about the video games, you guys are going to have to make sacrifices. So, um, you know, Mr. Rogers here, if you have Matt. You know, if you're if you're having difficulties finding that time, maybe and I don't know your life, maybe there's some stuff that you can eliminate, you know, cut back on. Say you are a video game guy or something like that. 
um, you know, cut your, you know, make sure you have a certain amount of hours to make the comics and then give yourself an allotted time to play video games. It's exactly. all about balance. You know, you need totally. that work life balance, you know, whether it be your day job, your night job that is making comics. Um, so, but make sure you're carving out that time. If you're not carving out that time, then the books will never get done. And I think that's a lot of problem with a lot of people that are trying to create their own comics is they don't carve out that time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I view it a lot like, in terms of the things you're willing to give up, I view it a lot like the way I view, I don't even call it dieting. I have never been on a diet in my life. However, I am willing to make lifestyle changes. So if I'm making a change, and I can do it temporary, I can do it permanent, depending. But like, so for example, I know, let, let's talk about time. Am I willing to give up video games even though I really enjoy playing them? Absolutely. Am I willing to give up watching basketball? No, fuck no. I'm going to watch <laughs> basketball, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and so, and, and I, I'm allowed to watch basketball as long as I get my work in. And again, to me, I equate that to dieting, right? Like you're going to know which foods you can give up if you want to change the way you eat, because they're the ones that cause the least amount of pain. You know, I can give up fried food for, for chunks of time whenever I want. You ask me to give up rice? Oh, hell no. I'm not doing that. You know, so you're you're going to know which things in terms of time that you can give up that you're willing to make that sacrifice because you have a bigger goal. Yep, absolutely. All right, we'll move on to the second one here. This is from at Red Empire. I think being original is the hardest thing to do or is the hardest thing to succeed with. Too many people fall into the habits and aren't willing to try something new. So they stick with what they know. Uh, this kind of. This kind of reminds me of something we had touched on prior to basically people putting down their corporate comics and reading indie comics. Yeah. So this falls right in line with that. It is hard. The it's it's not even an original idea that's hard to succeed with. It's just an original property. You know, right. it, I think that's more the line. You know, it's just if you had an original idea and put that out into the world, but it was with the big two, they're going to read it. You know, yeah. it's just like you put this a story synopsis out there and they're like, whoa, this sounds crazy. And it's by Marvel. OK, let me check this out. But right. if you do that same story idea and you put it under a banner of a company that you might not know or the audience might not know, they might not pick it up. A large majority won't because, you know, as right. we've talked about, people stick to what they know. So uh, Red Empire, you're, you're correct in the sense that people are it's difficult to just have people try anything that is new. Right. I mean, I think that a lot of this comes back to this fine. I mean, look, there are plenty of original ideas out there. There are plenty of original ideas waiting to be had. But that doesn't mean anybody wants to hear them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there are plenty of insane, uncommercially viable original ideas out there. But that's sort of the trick, right? And and I know that that's, um, that's baked into the question. You know, but but in a way... It, it's almost helpful to rethink of it that way because thinking of an original idea, I don't think is that hard. Thinking of an original idea that's popular enough to actually, you know, sell even a few books, that's a lot harder because now you're going to have to conform to some societal norms, some societal expectations of what a story should be and some things that you know have been popular. So it, it is absolutely a calibration that you have to do in terms of getting your story out there. But um, I, I, man, we've, we've done a lot of episodes, so I can't remember if I've ever mentioned this on the podcast or not. 
But I was listening to this really cool essay. I, I, I like going back to it every now and then. And it, it's by Chuck Close. Is it a, is it a, what, is he from Southside LA? This essay? Uh, this essay is a guy named, uh, it's it's one of my favorite essayists, a guy named Chuck Klosterman. And, oh. uh, and he um, he wrote a, a, an article on football one time. And he talks about basically the way that people have won a lot in the game of football is not by reinventing the game. It's by thinking just a little bit differently. Is by taking something and making it a little bit different. And I think that also holds true here. You know, we want we want different, but we don't want crazy different. We want slightly different, or we want a fresh take, or something we've talked about maybe on the air and maybe off the air, is we want your voice. You know, like that's where it comes down to. There there are no new stories. There are no new ideas. It's your voice. It's it's your synthesis of all these things that makes it something cool. And um and in a way, that's that's why there's always new stories and always new ideas. You know, there's there have been plenty of debates in music circles to switch topics a little bit. Have all the songs been written? Has every possible song been written? And what the current idea is, is that, yes, the note combinations have all been tried, but it's the words that make it different. You know, I, I, man, I wish I could think about what song I was listening to a couple days ago. And I was just thinking, like, like this song could never be written by anyone else. And I'm so happy it's here because it's just bizarre, you know, and and like only this band at this time could have thought of these lyrics with this melody. And now this song is timeless. And that's I think that's the brass ring we're all kind of going for, you know, to synthesize stuff and, and turn it into something memorable. Anyway, I think a lot of this is intuitive, but that doesn't make it any less fun to talk about. Absolutely. All right, so the third one is from, um, it's uh, at Richard A. A. Morgan. Uh, It's finding the balance of when's the right time to stop to hit print. Don't overwork it, writing or drawing, painting stages, and don't stop too soon. Comics, especially indie, uh, is that nice balance. I would say that's in everything that everyone wants to do. you got to find that nice balance. And in the indie waters a lot of creators are still trying to find the balance. Like sometimes it just takes time. Uh, we've Keith and I have talked about us starting our comics journey with our the first jump of Kadoja and second shift. It's like you can see the flaws in that work because we're still figuring things out. The longer we do this, the more refined we get at it. Uh, the more you do it, the more you know when to stop and to hit print. You know, yeah. like, like Keith had said uh, quite a few times about his novel – is this better or is this just different? At that point, you don't really need to do anything because it's time to stop and hit print because you're just changing it for the sake of changing it. And that's not improving your book. And it may not be hurting your book, but you're kind of just spinning your wheels. Yep. And and that's the kind of thing that comes with experience. I think I just mentioned a couple weeks ago with the novel that I'm at this spot in the novel where I know I don't have that much to do. Because I'll think of an idea that's, I'm like, yeah, that's a pretty cool idea. And then I'll sort of trace it through the entire novel or or where it's going to be. And I think like, no, no, that actually doesn't really change much at all. It's sort of interesting and I could shoehorn it into this novel. But there are things that I'm getting rid of that I'm deleting to make room for this. And it's really a net zero. And, and if it's a net zero, then I'm not sure why I'm doing this. And uh, you're you're going to get that with time. You're going to get that with time. 
just anything in life. There's shit that, I don't know, would stress you out when you're younger. And as you get older, you're like, eh, it's not that big of a deal. You know, same thing yeah. with your books. The, the stress that comes with doing a lot of things that you do in your book, especially at the beginning stages, you know, it's like you might be stressing out about everything, but the more and more you do it, it's less stressful, but you also become a little more organized with your process and how to do things. So yeah. after a while, you just go like, oh, I remember I made this mistake before. Don't forget that you have to do this or, uh, you know, this is going to come out a little weird. So, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And I mean, I guess if, if I was going to put a little bit of a, a bow on that idea, it's hit print, hit print and get it out there. And then keep on making something else and allow yourself to advance as a creator. Because otherwise, you're just going to end up trying to perfect the same thing and you're never going to have it see the light of day. Have something, give birth to it in the world, hit print, put it out there, and then work on your next one. That, like That's the only way we can keep doing this. And especially with something like comics that... They aren't huge long form projects, you know, unless you're talking about Barry Windsor Smith's monsters or something like that. Right. Like in most cases, it's it's something that is not meant to be a multi-decade project. It's meant to be a comic book that tells a story, hit print, get it out there in the world and then make the next one. It's so funny because I was just thinking about monsters today. I don't know why it popped in my head, but I Mm. just started thinking about it. And I'm like, that's only something someone can do who is making money at something that they're just still getting paid dividends because of it. You know, yeah. comics in the 80s and the early 90s. You you can put a book out, you know, for Marvel or, or DC, and if you have the right contract for the stuff that you created, you'll still be getting money to this very day. Yeah. And so the fact that he was able to... How many years was he doing Monsters? 20 years? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, he couldn't just... He was just working on one project for 20 years... Because Marvel and DC were still paying the bills. It was yeah. just like, oh, I did this killer stuff from them back in the day, and they just send me a check every month. Yeah. And uh, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> so Yeah, exactly. Okay, this next one is from at Comics Divergent 1. For me, being a writer, it's, it's finishing a script and getting the art to look how I envisioned it. Okay, this one is an interesting one. If you are the writer, and you are not the artist... Getting your artist to draw the thing over and over again until they get it to look like what is coming out of your head, I think that is a damn near impossible task. Number one, you're torturing your artist. Uh, having him redraw this one thing over and over again because you want it to look like that is coming out, something that's coming out of his head, that for an artist is infuriating. Do you know why? Because me as an artist... It's hard enough for me to do that with something I'm envisioning in my head. I'm trying to draw the thing that I see in my head, and it usually doesn't come out the way I want it to. So you're asking your artist to read your mind and just with words describe what you were seeing. It's going to be so much more difficult for him to do because he's not in your head. Like Mm -hmm. he can get an idea. He can grasp it. If you paint the picture nicely, he can envision it in his own mind's eye, but it's still going to come out in his vision. It's going to be a variation of yours, but the hope is it's going to be better than what you have envisioned because you are not an artist. He is the right. artist. So hopefully this you've hired someone where you like his style enough for when he so when he draws something for you, you go, that's fucking sick. That's not something I had envisioned. It's actually better. So yeah. um 
that's a dangerous road to go down. In my personal opinion, as an artist, um, I would not want to work for you because uh, it sounds like a pain in the ass. Yeah. And and as someone who who obviously writes and tries to put stuff into words, like I don't, that's not why I'm signing up for an artist. I'm signing up for an artist so I can see how they take the thing I say and turn it into something. And uh, I, you know, I mean, that's, even if you're paying an artist to draw your thing, I, I think you want to give yourself over to the universe a little bit and, and let yourself surrender to that artist's vision. I mean, if they're screwing up, they're screwing up. That's different, right? But if we're talking about something where it's it's perfectly fine, but it's just not the way it is in your head, then, I mean, you, you're sounding a lot like a difficult client, you know, and and I've I've had uh, I have a, a good amount of friends in multiple disciplines that talk about the infamous difficult client. And if you're the kind of person that's doing that and really not conveying clear expectations or or whatever, and then you keep on going back and going back and going back with revisions, then um then I, I makes me wonder if you're being that difficult client. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I would tap out for sure right away. And mm-hmm. um, you artists out there, I would definitely. If you're working with writers, if you're just if you're an artist for hire, that's how you're you're making your dough. Make sure in your contract or your your verbal obligation, your email or whatever, you're specifying how many revisions you're allowing your client to have. Yes, sir. Because if you don't put in that, uh, you don't put that in there, you're asking for a world of hurt. You mm-hmm. know, they'll be like, they'll be like, well, we never talked about this, so this is what I want. Yeah. Um, and it's up to you at that point to go. Then, well, I guess we're done here. Or yep. you go, okay, well, that's fine, but it's going to cost you this much extra because now I'm I am getting rid of this completely finished panel to redraw something in your, your vision. So yeah. uh, make sure you bake that into your contract because uh, it will save you so much time, so much heartache, so much annoyance, you know, just uh, be aware of that. Yeah. Nodding my head vigorously in agreement. All right, this is from at Mr. Underscore Kaizen. Making the story chapters fit in the page number and making an interesting panel flow slash layout that works and is readable. The flow is so important in my opinion and it can destroy a story or help a weak one. I absolutely agree with this. Um, the, the story flow, someone that is kind of obsessed with storytelling, that's, the one, that's one of the many things that I want to improve with my work. And not, not to say that I'm a bad storyteller. I think I'm a very competent storyteller. Ten years of pro wrestling will help you when it comes to telling a story. Like every single match that I would put on, it's a story into itself. So that's something I'm pretty decent at. But I want to excel even more at it uh, by adding like flares and all of that. But uh, it's, it's very important. And it's so tempting to just get really basic with your panels. And... Uh, you know, don't do it. Make sure what you're putting down is very interesting, uh, visually to look at, and it's comprehensive. You want to make sure that people read exactly what's going on. The true test of good storytelling is, can someone read your book without dialogue? You know, can you have, not not to say that it is a wordless comic, but can someone flip through your story, look at each panel and go, I know exactly what's going on here? If they can, then you've done your job. You know, it's like you don't necessarily need to know what they're saying, but just based off of what is going on in the panel, it's like, okay, 
yeah, this guy was doing this. He was at the grocery store. Um, this thing happened. It flew into there. Yep. And now they're fighting. And it looks like it was some kind of misunderstanding. And they're talking it over. And everyone's calm now. And they all figure it out. It, you know, yeah. if, if you can do that, then you're good to go. Just Just keep doing what you're doing. But just make sure it's interesting. You don't want it to be so basic that people are kind of getting bored reading that. Totally. I mean, <laughs> because I'm hoping that you've already backed the Kadoja Kickstarter by the time we read this, go ahead and go back there right now. And and I believe what you'll find is you're going to find, um, I just posted this the other day, Scott, which is why it's so fascinating and why I lived what you were just saying. Um, I posted a piece of art on the Kadoja Kickstarter that involves a couple people talking. And it is a, I would argue that it is a complex scene. And I posted the page without dialogue because I want, number one, I didn't want to ruin the dialogue for people that back the Kickstarter. And number two, I just wanted to have some cool art up. But I picked this page specifically because I think it carries a ton of weight, very difficult storytelling and totally pulls it off on something that's a bit complex. And so um, I believe it's, you'll know you're on the right page when you see uh, Professor Murakami, who's an older man, and um, Mercury Velez, who's a younger man who's like, you know, dark haired, mustache, goatee kind of thing. And, um, and then you'll see Andrew Casa, who's a younger bald man. And one of the characters appears with a tentacle head because that's, that's the idea of the madness here. And the way that Will Perkins does the storytelling there is very strong and you don't have any doubt what is going on. You know, you really don't have doubt that one of the people in the scene is seeing somebody with a tentacle head, even though they're not there to the other person. And like that is a that is a tough thing to pull off. And Will pulls it off. And, uh, and that's how, again, to what Scott's saying, it's a kind of put thing he puts himself to the test on every single day. Right. In terms of making good panels, in terms of making good pages, take the words away and then see what kind of story you're telling. And and just your story flow, the way you lay stuff out, it can make stuff so much more interesting. So, you know, talking heads pages, we've talked about talking heads. If you can figure out a way to shoot each panel in a different way to make things more interesting, that'll spice up the panel. You know, the dialogue can be just fine. There could be nothing wrong with it. And then it just becomes a talking heads page if you're just putting a bunch of heads in there. But if you're taking a look around the room, you know, you're you're kind of like zooming in on certain things, like just uh, going up angles, down angles, it makes everything more interesting. So um, even if you have, if you're an artist out there and you're working with someone, you're like, man, this story isn't very good, but they pay, pay pretty well. You can help that quite a bit. I mean, uh, I back a Kickstarter just based off of the art. Like, the story is horrendous. And I don't like reading the book, but I always back it because I really love the artist. So it's just, it's like his storytelling, his art style, it's so strong that it's just like, okay, yeah, I don't mind backing this because I just like looking at this guy's work. So um, your story flow, your art style, like, it's all helpful in in, uh, making comics. Yeah, man. Okay, and then this is our last one. This is from at Mistryall. Uh, literally making panels. Jesus Christ. It's so tempting to just box everything, but then you get no dynamic shit going on. That's the hardest part for it. It's so funny because it's essentially what we were just talking about. So, yeah, I have been tempted 
Um, if Okay, so if you have purchased the Second Shift trade paperback, which collects issues one through five, the first issue, I am trying so much crazy shit because I don't know any rules, quote-unquote rules. So I'm trying so much stuff out, just stuff that was interesting, like things that I've seen in comics. I was like, oh, yeah, I kind of like how they did that. What What's my own take on that? And, uh, you know, I've had panels. It was like, hey, my, my characters, they're in the, the van that they drive around in, the Toyota van. And the panel is a rearview mirror. It's, it's you know, you get a kind of like a close-up of the side of a head, like a, a eye and part of the ear because they're in the driver's seat. And then you see people in the back seat, and that's the panel. I'm like, oh, this, like I look at look back at it now. I'm like, whoa, what a cool fucking idea. But I also get to the point where I am learning the rules as I go. So it was just like me jumping in the deep end to learn how to swim. That's what issue one is. I'm just learning how to swim. And then before you know it, I'm being taught different techniques. Oh, you got the, you know, the breaststroke, the backstroke, and all these other things. I start doing that same thing that they were tempted to do, being stuck at, like in, in just getting into panels. And so I think if you look at issues... I think four and and part of five, uh, I start getting into panels. It's just a lot of panel work. And it's because, oh, I get it now. Like, And I'm trying to f- figure it out. And I think by the end of issue five, it's like, no, no, no. Uh, we're getting away from that. Okay, I figured that part out. But no, we're going back to the fun stuff. We're trying different things out. And uh, you know, as time goes on, it's like, no, I'm getting crazier again. I want to make sure I'm making shit interesting. Because mm-hmm. if you do stick to those panels, it kind of gets boring. Maybe the reader doesn't get bored. I don't I don't know. But I know I do, like as the artist. So I don't know, honestly, if that's more for the reader or if it's just to keep myself sane while I'm doing these interiors. Yeah. No, I mean, that that makes sense. You, you've, you've said everything that needs to be said. I have nothing to add. That's right. Don't you fucking forget it. You're goddamn right. <laughs> and that was our last one. That was our, that last, was our one. last one, man. So do you got anything for bringing the bullshit? Do I? I mean, I, I have an observation. I have some bullshit I'd like to bring, but it's more of an observation than anything, which is, I I don't know, like this, like many comments I give, this may age poorly. I In fact, I expect it to. Yet, I think it's important to capture this exact moment in time. And at this exact moment in time, I feel like there are no values to be had in comics unless you are, one, going to a yard sale and getting lucky or just putting in the work there, or two, you are going to a comic shop and putting in the work there. Because I feel like comic conventions and eBay are, what's the word, perfect information. You know, there's there's this idea in the stock market that the stock market contains perfect information. That is, if... If Company X decided that they cured cancer, then five minutes later, their stock price would soar and would address the fact that they have a cure to the impossible. But I think that comics, I think the information is quite perfect. You know, like that that's what it feels like. It just feels like something happens and the price is reflected immediately. You know, like you and I do talk about, hey, I found this book, I found that book. It takes a lot of work to find books under 
even even 10% under what you think the market value is. And it just feels like sellers and buyers are so much more educated on what the real value of something is that deals are harder to come by. And that's why I'm really not buying anything. You know, like you and I actually both last weekend at Phoenix Fan Fusion relieved each other for walks. It was like, hey man, I'm gonna go take a walk. I feel like breaking, taking a break from the booth. I'm like, okay, I got you. And then you did the same for me. I was like, Scott, I feel like taking a walk. I'm gonna go take a walk. And both of us, I think, walked with the idea of getting a comic, seeing what was out there. And um, it didn't take long for me to be like, no, no, these values are exactly the values everywhere else. It doesn't feel like there's anything worth buying. It feels like everything is priced at exactly the market price. And that's very boring right now. So maybe that'll change. I expect it will change at some point. But right now at this moment in time, it just feels like the information is, is close to perfect and therefore Absolutely, everybody seems to know the price of absolutely everything. I mean, I got away with something, and it was it was just by chance. So, uh, in at Phoenix Fan Fusion on one of those walks, I just so happened to find a booth. It was like it had some pop culture stuff on it, some paintings or whatever on the outside of it. But I saw long boxes. I was like, oh, they got long boxes here. Nothing was in order, not alphabetical. It was just hey, this is what it is, and I started flipping through. As I was going through, stuff was pretty reasonably priced. You had some stuff that was like going for five, a lot of stuff that was going for like between three and five dollars. And like strangely and, and terribly enough, that's very average. An average price right now is five dollars per issue for brand new books. So when you look at a dollar fifty book from the 80s, that's five bucks. You're like, yeah, that's fine. I'm mm-hmm. not sweating five dollars. So, um, Going through those, I ended up finding a nice uh, uh, Power Man and Iron Fist for uh, my writer Ed. He's he loves them. It was like issue one hundred, double sized issue for three bucks. I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna get that for him. And he the the booth owner was just like, oh yeah, blah 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 blah. Yeah, they're over in the dollar bins. And I'm like, dollar bins. Oh, you said the magic. God damn it! You said the magic amount. So uh, I ended up finding the dollar bins, shuffling through. Ended up finding a nice Walt Simonson Thor, and uh, I was pulling them out. There was a couple there in in the first row, and one of the guys at the booth that worked there, he goes, "Hey, there's more in this bit, this box right here." And I'm like, "Thank you." And ended up finding Malachith's first appearance for one dollar. So it was a nice little steal. I ended up getting. Uh, I think six issues of Walt Simonson Thor, you know, for a dollar a piece. They were definitely reader copies, but hey, for one dollar and to check out Walt Simonson's art, I'm totally down for that. So I grabbed a bunch of those books, but honestly, that was all that was there. The rest of the books were just overrun of 90s comics that they must have had in in their back back office or something that they were just trying to purge out. But it's just like, hey... These aren't going to move. <laughs> I'm going to tell you that right now. But guess what's yeah. moving? These Walt Simons and Thors. Yeah, and and further to that point, I just I feel like we've we've reached the dark future dystopia, where like every fucking book is slabbed all the time. You know what I mean? Like I'm just, I mean, how many episodes was it ago, Scott, where I railed on slabs? You know, like a long time. Oh, ago. I have a story, by the way. It, it was it was a while ago, right? Well, I, I can't wait to hear it um, after this. But like the it's like slabs on slabs on slabs on slabs. It's like people have just been conditioned to slab absolutely everything. And again, I think a lot of that is why everyone is so well educated because you have what do you think? 
I mean, at least dozens, if not hundreds of YouTubers that are just out there like, here's how you're, you know, like it, it it's the, what's happening in comics. It's always been this way in comics, but it just feels worse. It's kind of like these assholes that like tell you to flip houses, you know, and, um, and it just feels like there's this cottage industry that's overstuffed of people that are, here's how you're going to make money in comics. And then they, you know, like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to roll it and press it and I'm going to make it a 9.8. And, and like, to me, I'm not saying all of this is clown shit, but some of it at least feels like clown shit where like you're buying a brand new book, dude. You're buying a $5 book and then you're insisting on like rolling it and pressing it for 50 bucks. And then you're slabbing it and then it's like a 9.8 and then you're listing it for $150 like a goddamn clown, you know? And it's, <laughs> it, it's just, I, I don't know how we got here. And I think comics have always had that dangerous line. Like comics are one of the coolest investment properties because you can read them. You know, Pogs, man, I am dating myself with that Pogs thing, but like Pogs, Beanie Babies, you know, the kind of things that I remember coming up with, like so many of those things, you know, you just look at and consider. And again, I may have made this 50 episodes ago. I don't know. But comics you can read, you know, music you can listen to, and at least it has some level of intrinsic value. And it just sort of bums me out that it's just gotten to this. Here's how you make money here. Here's how you make money there. And it just, again, it just feels silly to just walk from booth to booth. You know, if if you don't have any time at a con, pick a book that's like semi-popular. Like semi-popular. Like, oh, Secret Wars 8. Spidey 252. Pick that book. Walk to every dealer. And then look at their slabbed-ass copy. There are so many copies of those goddamn things and every dealer seems to have one and everyone's listening at the same price and none of them are selling, you know? And it's like, I don't know, man. I don't know how we got here. I don't know how we got here where like everybody just holds books and nobody buys them because everybody has a established market value and nobody wants to dip under it. And as a result, absolutely no money changes hands. It's just, it's silly. I'm talking with my hands. You can tell I'm really into it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, Okay. So speaking of slaps, we were actually talking about this. So we both signed up for the George Perez signing for CGC. Yeah. Um, you said you got an email saying that, hey, do you want to move this over to this, to these two writers, depending on which... Uh, there was a couple of writers. Uh, it was a writer of Infinity Gauntlet number one and the writer for... Uh, Teen Tales, Titans. Yeah, of Teen Titans. Uh, uh, is it Mark Wolfman? Uh, Marv Wolfman, Marv Wolf Titans, and I just remembered after a week, Scott's George Starlin for Starlin. Gauntlet. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So when I saw the announcement for those two writers, Jim Starlin, uh, Jim Starlin, Jim Starlin. There you go. That's what it is. Um, since George Perez was no longer able to do the signing, uh, obviously, that you had the ability to move them over. So you informed me of that. But as soon as I saw those writers announced, I I knew that's what they were doing. It's just like, mm-hmm. well, they didn't want to give money back. So they're like, okay, well, what can we do here? And I emailed them beforehand. I said, hey, I see that you have these two writers. If you can go ahead and move my CGC stuff to to those two guys. And someone responded right away and they said, oh, we'll be contacting you and letting you know, um, you know, that that's the option or we can send it back to you or you can, we can just slab them like just without signature, whatever. And... I never got that email. You said you got it. I never got it. I know why I didn't get it. 
I didn't get it because I did the CGC, CGC through SoCal Comics. Oh. So they might have gotten the email, but I didn't. Guess what I received in the mail, Keith? Both of my books slabbed unsigned. Oh, my God. Yeah. And it had... And then not only that, I had a mystery charge on my credit card for $71. And I'm like, what is this? I, I think I'm going to dispute this. And then when I opened the box it was the and shipping. found out I got my CGC book, it was $71. And I was like, what the fuck? I don't have any signatures here. I paid... Not only did I pay for the signatures already, but I also paid for the George Perez like um, uh, drawing on the top. Yeah, yeah, on the top of it. So I was like, not only did you not give me what I wanted, but you charged me more money. And so I'm going to be disputing this because I, e I emailed them as soon as I opened the box. I said, yeah. well, this is bullshit. Um, I said, hey, look. I contacted you guys. I told you already that I wanted it moved over to these to these writers. It didn't happen. I already paid. And not only that, you charged me 71 more dollars. What is going on here? You know, just let me know what's up. Thanks. I have not heard back. And it has been um, four days. So I'm going to give them till Monday mm -hmm. to respond. If they don't respond by Monday, I am disputing this charge on my credit card. And uh, that'll be that. Yeah. Because How? I'm not giving them extra money. And then also, they owe me more money because I paid for yeah. signatures. It's, it's so crazy to me. Yeah, yeah. How, okay. Who out there among podcast land had Scott as ultimately being the guy who got screwed? Like those longtime <laughs> listeners of the podcast will remember insanity. That led to the whole George Perez thing when I, I did it. And, oh, my God, there, there's a whole story. Feel, Drove feel down free to, to San dig Diego. Through. You overnighted oh it. Overnighted so it. It didn't get there because I forgot to write it on the box. It miraculously got selected. And, you know, it, it basically was supposed to take four weeks and took three days somehow. And then, and then George Perez basically withdraws. And, unfortunately, George Perez has, has since left us. R.I.P. Yeah, man. Rest in peace, George. And uh, and God, just uh, what an unexpected twist for them for you to get it back. That sucks. That sucks. Yeah. Um, okay. Can I have one more CGC thing? Real yeah, quick, man. Related. Yeah, do it. You've been checking your emails these last couple of days. Um. Yes. You see the see the Ewan McGregor one? Oh, I did. Did you see the price? I didn't even open it because if you're a celebrity and you do it, it's like three hundred dollars or something like that. You you have predicted it correctly. It is three. It was three hundred and twenty five dollars for you and McGregor. So here's my question, right? Okay, let me go on record. I love you and McGregor. Okay, I love him as an actor. I again, he's one of the few actors where I'm like, yeah, man, I'll watch anything you do. What the fuck does he have to do with comics? Because he's Obi Wan Kenobi, so if you want right. a Star Wars comic signed by Obi Wan Kenobi, you can. That, but that, like, like, what? <laughs> I mean, to to me, you know, like, I get it on the surface, but like, I might as well just have LeBron James sign my Star Wars comic. I don't know. It just it 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 makes me wonder if CGC is losing its way a little bit. <laughs> you know, like the, he's not a comic creator. If you and McGregor wrote a comic or drew a comic. Like like Keanu Reeves with um, Berserker, 
you know, at least then, at least there's some kind of six degree of Kevin Bacon that connects you to comics, but just being a celebrity who plays a character that happens to be in a comic feels just feels like a stretch too far. Oh yeah. The, when the scar or when Dr. Strange two came out, um, uh, shoot, what is the actress's name? Wilson, uh, Olsen, Olsen, um, Scarlet Witch, Scarlet Witch, help me out here. Oh, what's her name? Uh, uh, God, Elizabeth Olsen. Elizabeth Olsen, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, so when Doctor Strange 2 came out, Elizabeth Olsen popped up for the CGC. Oh, she's signing, you know, she's signing, and it was like 325. Obviously 25 for CGC and 300 for the uh, actor there. But it's just like, yeah, I'm, I get it. She's a Scarlet Witch. Yeah. I'm not having her sign... X Men number four. Where what yeah, the, what the hell is not happening? doing it anyway? Okay, well, I, you know what? That started off as a very light toe dip into the bring the bullshit waters, but I would argue that's one of our better bullshits that we've brought in. Yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. Yeah. All right, so we're going to go ahead and keep bring the episode to a close here. If you uh, want to follow me on social media, it is at Scott Lost, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. Yep. For me, it is Keith underscore Invader. That is something I'm posting a couple times a week about all kinds of things, writing, quotes, all kinds of good stuff, photos, and of course the comics I do. And then if you uh, only drive in the speed lane reserved for giant monsters, then at Kadoja Kaiju is for you. That is 100% giant monsters 100% of the time. If you want to pick up our books, number one, go to our Kickstarters. We both have Kickstarter live right now. So make sure you're going to our social medias that we just told you about. And go in our bios. Click the links in there. So Back Wanders of Melisanda 3 and uh, Kadoja Volume 4, number one, both in our bios. Or if you want to get some back issues, more than likely we'll have those also in the Kickstarter. So that would help us out. Make sure you do that first. But if you have some weird thing against Kickstarter, if you think they're the devil for whatever reason, you can go to our website. So my website for Second Shift, A Tale of Minimum Wage Workers During the Day and Superheroes at Night, and Wanders of Melisanda, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs versus Humans, you can find those books at AccidentalAliens.com. Yeah, like you're against Kickstarter because they pump tomatoes full of chemicals or something like that. Like just crazy <laughs> shit. Hey, let me mention something. So Scott basically said all, all I need to say on the Kickstarter stuff, because you can go to KeithRFoster.com and you can get stuff. But you can also just go to the Kickstarter right now and use that as a way to get stuff. And if you're new to Kadoja, then boy, do we have some story for you. But something I want to talk about is that there is a tier on the Kadoja Kickstarter. It is the Making Comics Podcast tier. And we haven't talked about this much, and we hinted at it, but I'd like to talk about it a little bit. It's got a special comic, special cover. It is a special comic. Who are we kidding? But it's got a special cover drawn by your boy, Scott Lost. This is the only place you're going to be able to get that cover. It also has, so for the inside cover and the inside back cover, we are going down memory lane of the Making Comics podcast, and we have some special shit for you. One of them is going to be Uh, So both of these are fun refrains that we've had on the podcast. One of them is Scott's recurring joke involving my trip to France with Kadoja and people that like to bridge with gargoyles on it. And we're going to leave that there. We're going to leave that there. And then the second one involves uh, the best dream I've ever had involving multiple Gigans. And we're going to leave that right there. So... If those things interest you and you've been with us for a while or you just want to go back and try to find that stuff, 
then it's the Making Comics podcast tier. We're having fun with this tier, and uh, and we encourage you to back it. And then feel free to fill out the Kickstarter with any other things that you want to get through add-ons. So anyway, Kickstarter, Kadoja Symphony of Madness, volume or, or issue number one. And of course, Wanderers of Melisanda, number three. Right, Scott? That's it. And also on the uh, also on the Kadoja uh, Kickstarter, with that, with that tier, I actually have the original art up for sale as well. So... There is only one, you know, there is only one, much like the Highlander. There is only one. Much like Once Upon a Time in Shaolin, baby. There's one copy, and, and you need to get it before Martin Shkreli does. That's the rules. Uh, so, hey, speaking of the rules, algorithms are rules. and and But the difference between rules and algorithms is that you can take algorithms and you can mold them, bend them, and shape them to do whatever you want. How do you do this, you might ask? Well, you go to Apple Podcasts and you go to Spotify Podcast and you give us five stars. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, you throw us some good words. Because what that's going to do is that's going to put those little punk bitch algorithms in the palm of your little hand. And they're going to get to do what you want. Because, and, and on a larger note, that's what you get to do with everything like this. You get to use these algorithms to your advantage because that's going to let the people out there that are making things, that are selling things, they're gonna, you're going to let them know that you like their thing. And then that's going to jump them to the top of the list so other people can share in liking that same thing that you do. So, in summary, fuck algorithms. You own them. Five stars on Spotify or Apple Podcasts for Making Comics. And if you like this episode, go to makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. Shoot us a quick email. Let us know what you like, dislike, stuff you want us to talk about, and uh, all of that jazz. So if you've read our books and you want to talk to us about how much you like our books or issues you have with our books, go to makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. Let us know there or any of the social medias we provided to you previously. And that'll do it for this episode of Making Comics, and we'll catch you guys next week. Yay, yay.